0: Well, there's something about stories of deep love that have the ability to affect our emotions. Those homecoming videos where a service member surprises their child at school after a long deployment. Or maybe the story of the elderly wife who visits her husband with Alzheimer's, the nursing home, every day, even though he has no idea who she is or Taylor Swift suddenly becoming an NFL fan, all for love. Human beings can't get enough of love stories. There's something about those expressions of love that we're just drawn to. Even the most calloused people get a little bit misty-eyed when you see the look on that little girl's face when she sees her dad show up at her school after months away. And of course, as Christians, we have an explanation for this. We were created by a loving God to love Him and to love those that He has given to us. God is love, and Scripture says we are created in His image. And as much as the sin of our world, and even at times the sin in our own hearts may fight against that and attack that image we can't pull ourselves fully away from that love of all things love and think of it on the flip side those who have been denied love of someone who is supposed to love them especially a mother or a father those people bear the marks of that their entire lives we were created we were wired by our maker to love and to be loved to give love and to receive love and when we don't receive the love that we were created to receive or when that person hurts us or abuses us instead of loving us we will undoubtedly experience a lifetime full of difficulties it will affect every relationship that we have. I can't tell you how many times in my 19-plus years of church ministry that I've heard someone express to me and share with me how, how deeply they were hurt by a parent. Some of you are here this morning bearing the scars of abuse, of mistreatment, of abandonment, of neglect, the hands of those who are supposed to love you. Love is is central to our existence. It's central to our sense of identity and assurance and well-being. And while human beings may fail us, while we won't love as we should, while we aren't loved by others as we should be, we as Christians do live with the promise of God's love, his unfailing, enduring steadfast love. And many of you have testimony of how it is the love of God that has carried you through really dark and difficult seasons when you weren't loved, when you were mistreated by those who are supposed to love you. And so as we think about this theme, this theme of love, I want to read our text for today from Romans chapter 8 verses 31 through 39 this is god's word to us what then shall we say in response to these things if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died? More than that, who was raised to life? is at the right hand of god and is also interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we Face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, we confess that your word is true. We pray that you would accomplish all that you desire today as we consider your words to us. May you be Glorified in your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, tomorrow begins a new year, and I was considering some weeks ago what I wanted to share this morning on this final Sunday in 2023. I found myself drawn to a passage from Romans chapter 8, a passage in which we find bundled together some incredible gospel promises upon which we are to live and build our lives. And so as we reflect back on the Christmas season, as we look forward to the new year that is in front of us, I I want to share three reasons that Jesus came to earth. Three reasons that we find in our text that give us hope and assurance for another year. And so the first reason that Jesus came is this. Jesus came to prove that God is for us. Verse 31 of our text says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? As good students of God's word, it should cause all of us to wonder what things is Paul writing about? What are these things that he mentions? In other words, what's the context here in Romans that gives rise to these gospel declarations that we find in our text. We might go back to the immediate context. Paul has has just been talking about suffering. In verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And he goes on to make clear that God's promises to redeem and restore his creation, make our current sufferings, make the things that we encounter in this life and for today, tolerable, because we know that there is something infinitely better on the way. He goes on to say that God is at work in all things, working for the good of those who love him. But I think we could actually read these words in our text for today these things that Paul mentions as referring to all of the promises that we've encountered in Romans so far. This magnum opus of good news for sinners. I want to just sort of fly over a handful of the incredible promises that Paul has shared leading up to our text for today. We'll start in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Paul says the gospel is the power of God brings salvation to everyone who believes. Romans chapter 3, he says, A person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, says God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners Christ died for us Romans chapter 5 verse 18 says one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. In other words, we were all made right before God through faith. By one righteous act. Or Romans chapter 8 verse 1. The verse that begins our present chapter. says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we arrive at our text for today. And, and the question that is posed to us Is this when we consider all of these things when we look at all of these promises for sinners like us what shall we say in response to these things and Paul says if God is for us who can be against us Paul said just sort of assumes based on all of these things I've just said God must be for us, not against us. Think for a moment about what you see behind me on the wall. Why is the cross so central in the life of the church? Why is the focal point of our sanctuary a cross? Why do we have a cross when you walk in, a cross above the carport, a cross when you pull into the parking lot, a cross on the pulpit in front of me? Because it is at the cross that God gave up his son for us all. It is at the cross that we discover that God isn't against us. That he is for us. It's proven on the cross. How many of us spent much of our lives with the assumption that God is against us? God is for us. It's proven For us at the cross. Some of you might be familiar with the name Philip Melanchthon. Melanchthon was a a German reformer who worked under and alongside his much more famous boss, a man named Martin Luther. Melanchthon was actually the principal author of the Augsburg Confession. It's a document that our church here adheres to. Melanchthon often referred to our text for today. It was one of his favorites and particularly verse 31. Melanchthon spoke of Romans chapter 8 verse 31 as the source of his hope and his strength during the difficult days of the Reformation. The stories told that as Philip Melanchthon lay dying, his pastor came to visit him and began reading from Romans chapter 8 and When his pastor read verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Philip stopped him and he said, read it again. And then he said, read it again and again. If God is for us, who can be against us? These gospel words are unsurpassed in the hope that they bring. To sinners think about the implications of that promise that God isn't against us that he is uh, is for us if God is for me what do I have to fear if God is for me I lack nothing if God is for me I can rest if God is for me I will never be alone if god is for me i am free from the cares of this world if god is for me my eternity is assured now we want to be careful that we don't hear words like this in an in an egocentric way the promise that in christ god is for us doesn't mean that everything is about us Don't conflate those two ideas. Don't mix up those two thoughts. To believe that everything is about you is self-idolatry. And actually, it's terrible news because I'm pretty sure that you would make a lousy God. So would I. God isn't, everything in this world, and especially God, isn't about you. But God has promised, he has declared that he is for you he's not against you and in those words we find the greatest encouragement and assurance that we could ever hope for second I want to share with you this morning that Jesus came to bring an end to condemnation for all who believe I just read for you a few minutes ago the words of Romans chapter 8 verse 1 It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But but in our text for today, Paul takes that statement and he fleshes it out a little bit. In verses 33 and 34, he says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, who makes us right in his sight who then is the one who condemns no one christ jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of god and is also interceding for us who brings an accusation paul asks this sort of hypothetical question Who, who could possibly bring an accusation against one whom god has chosen who could bring a charge against god's people who can condemn those who are in christ and the answer of course is no one why because christ died for you christ was raised to life and is presently today in this moment sitting at the right hand of god the father almighty interceding on our behalf in case you don't believe paul jesus said this exact same thing in john chapter 3 verse a couple verses that most of us know well jesus said for god so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life and then hear these words for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. It is unfortunate that Christianity has been mischaracterized by popular culture and skeptics as being all about condemnation when in fact the opposite is true. True Christianity is the belief that the remedy, the answer for condemnation is found in jesus but of course scripture does teach that condemnation is a reality you can't read the bible honestly and walk away as a universalist just assuming that everybody ends up in heaven one day scripture makes it quite clear that there are some who will be condemned some who will be allowed to receive the due payment for their actions But the good news of biblical Christianity, not pop Christianity, but biblical Christianity, the good news is that at the end of the day, there are only two camps. There are only two classifications of people. And the boundary line between those two camps isn't drawn by morality or church attendance or political persuasion or Denominational affiliation, the two camps are defined quite simply as those who are in Christ and those who aren't. And scripture says that if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. You will not be condemned. It's helpful that Paul speaks of this in legal terms. He says, who will bring any charge? It is God who justifies. These are legal phrases, and and, and this test is not a matter of accounting. We don't avoid condemnation by doing more good than bad and hoping that the scales of justice fall in our favor. You don't walk into the afterlife with a ledger, with a good column and a bad column, and, and just hope that when the ledger is balanced, you're in The black and not the red. That is not how scripture speaks of it at all. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so how are we in Christ? We heard those words earlier from Romans chapter 3. That a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So we are not justified by doing good works, but by believing. We receive the promise of justification, of being made right with God, of being declared not guilty of our sin by faith in Christ alone, by placing our hope and our trust in him, by confessing that if it were dependent upon me, I would be condemned. But instead, Jesus took the condemnation that I deserved Jesus came to prove that God is for us he came to bring an end to condemnation for all who believe and and third Jesus came that we might always know the love of God and then Paul gives us two almost poetic descriptions to deal with this question that's before us. And the question is this, in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us from God's love for us? And again, it's, it's a hypothetical question. Maybe a rhetorical question. Question that serves to cause us to think, to ponder, is there anybody, is there something? That can separate me from God's love for me. And Paul gives us these two sort of poetic descriptions as the answer. The first is found in verse 35 and the second in verses 38 and 39. Let's look at the first in verse 35. He lists seven things that we might think of as things that could separate us from God's love. Listen to what he says. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword I want to give you just a taste of what Paul says here he's he's painting a picture for us uh, of the things that will not separate us from God's love this will be a bit of a a flyover but I want to just spend a, a second or two on each of these words the first word is is trouble and we have a sense of what the word trouble means but it's a word that could also mean pressure or oppression the next word is hardship the root of this word is actually the word narrow it's the imagery of being stuck in a very narrow room maybe pushed in constrained stuck in a trench is kind of the imagery that lies behind it hardship the third word is persecution We have a sense of what that word means although none of us have really probably experienced true persecution but the word itself means to be pursued to be chased after by your enemies persecution famine famine is exactly what you would think no food hungry Uh, nakedness again that word can mean exactly what it says but it's also imagery throughout the scriptures nakedness is imagery for both shame but also for being poor, being destitute, possessing nothing. Next word is danger. It means facing risks and peril and hazards at every turn. And, and then the final word is the word sword. And those reading Paul's letter in Rome would have known exactly what Paul was talking about here. This was the sidearm held by Roman soldiers who likely would have been persecuting Christians in Rome the moment that this letter was read before the church and so the question before us is what will separate us from the love of Christ will any of these things that Paul has just mentioned separate us from God's love but before he answers the question he quotes Psalm 44 and this is helpful. Listen to these words that he quotes from the psalm. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And it's only after he quotes that psalm that we find the answer to the previous question. He says, no. None of those things will separate you from the love of of christ in all these things he says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us or we might think of it like this because of god's love for us these things are conquered are defeated they don't separate us from god's love god's love conquers them god's love is victorious even over trouble hardship persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, even over the executioner. We have to hear this verse as it's often quoted in a prideful way. It's not as if we are the ones who conquer, like it is by our strength that we overcome these things. No, these words should point our eyes to the conquering king, to the one who has already overcome these things, who has overcome the world, to the one who loves us in a way that transcends all. And, and we also don't hear these words, and we have to guard against hearing these words as sort of a theology of glory, as if God exists to make us happy and wealthy and healthy and free from trials. So often when you hear, when you hear it quoted that we are more than conquerors, it doesn't follow, it's not, it's not quoted as following this quotation from the Psalms about us facing death and dying every day. It's just sort of left to hang on its own. We, we, can't, we can't do that. We have to hear Paul's words about us conquering in light of what he's just said. The reality that we, and, and Christians from the beginning, have always expected to suffer. But that suffering isn't a sign that God doesn't love us. Suffering is not a sign that God does not love us. This is one of the most common objections to the Christian faith. How could a a good and loving God allow this much suffering? And and I think if we're honest, we've all wrestled with that question from time to time. The reality, uh, that, that understanding is where... Uh, where we begin to recognize that we are mere mortals. We don't see the whole picture. We can't see through the challenges of today to get a sense of how everything resolves in the end. God's love is not diminished by suffering. In fact, as we were reminded on Christmas Eve, God's love comes into the midst of our suffering and is present with us. I think actually most of us could tell stories of how it was suffering that opened our eyes to the love of God. Paul doubles down on this in verse 38. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, Neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about that list. Neither death nor life. God's love for us transcends life and death. This is so difficult for us to understand because we can't really comprehend anything Beyond this material world. But God says that death itself has no power to separate us from his love for us. Neither angels nor demons. The the spiritual powers and forces that are at play in our world. Good and, and evil. Nothing can separate us from God's love. He then says neither the present nor the future. What's he saying here? God's love is not bound by time. He he loved you before you were created. And he will love you after you die. God's love for you is eternal. It's not impacted. It's not affected by time. Your, Your human love, your affection may ebb and flow as time goes on. It may intensify or it may diminish. Not so with God. He always remains. He is the measuring stick. He is the plumb line. He is the the true north. And he never changes. And so his love never changes. The the regret of your past, the, the unknown of your future, cannot separate you from God's love for you. He says, nor any powers. There are no Forces, no entities, no rulers, no governments, no kings, no strongholds that can separate us from God's love. Remember, these were people who were watching the government kill their brothers and sisters in Christ in front of them. There are no powers that can separate us from God's love. That was Paul's testimony. He says, Neither height nor depth this is a a word picture to get us to to think of the highest heights and the the lowest lows from the mountaintop to the deepest ocean trench nothing no space can separate us from god's love and then he crescendos with this phrase nor anything else in all creation nothing there is no place no force no power no person no entity there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus our Lord Paul is incredibly descriptive here for a reason he's lifting high for all to see the incredible love of God for his people and and he's working to deepen our assurance there is nothing nothing in this life in this world that can separate you from God's love. And so we are invited to embark on another year as recipients of this incredible love. Love that nothing can take away from us, even suffering, even death itself. And we are invited to join Jesus in his in his work of bringing this, this love to people who are in such tremendous need. Of it. Everywhere you go in 2024, you will encounter people who need the love of Jesus. People who were created to receive his love, even if they deny it, even if they are blind to it. And my, my prayer is uh, for this new year is that we won't merely believe God's love in an intellectual sense. But that we will join Jesus in his work of ensuring that those around us know of the love of God. Jesus came to to prove that God is for us. Jesus came to bring an end to condemnation for all who believe. And Jesus came that we might always know the love of God. And now we are invited to take his love with us today. To share it in word and in deed with those that he has placed in our lives. And so may this be a blessed year as we join Jesus in the work that he is doing. Making his love known wherever he has placed us, wherever he calls us to go. Let's pray. God, we confess that we tend to have a low view of love, a very human view view of love a very self-centered perspective on love so so we're grateful for these words that call us to repentance and then uh, to begin to grasp your love the depth of your love the love that we only ever truly see as we look to you and to what you have done for us we thank you that you have proven your love for us in christ We thank you that there is no condemnation for all who believe. We thank you that Jesus came that we might always know of your great love. So, Lord, as we reflect on your word, we do repent because we have not loved you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we haven't loved our neighbor as you have taught us. We agree with your word that we are sinners in need of your mercy we believe that jesus is your answer for our sin and and so we cling to those words that there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ that nothing can separate us from your love may those words take root in our hearts this week we pray in jesus name amen